Good morning. This morning's uh, scripture is um, from, let's uh, not do that, from Romans 6, 1 through 4. You'll find that on page 942, which is uh, available in the Bible in front of you. That should be under the chair. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died in sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us have been baptized, who have been baptized into Christ Jesus, were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Hot mic. I am Ransom Kent. I'm the pastor here. It's so good to be back. I've been gone for a couple of weeks. Uh, two weeks ago, I was invited to participate in the first Presbyterian College retreat. And so it was really a fun time. The whole family got to go and I uh, was able to take the Esther series we just finished and put that in a discussional kind of format. That was fun. Then last week I was speaking at King's Church. It's a church plant over on the west end of town uh, that we uh, support here as a church. It was great to be with them, but it's always good to be home. Uh, so we are starting a new series today called Killing Sin. Very exciting. Hmm, dangerous. Um, we're going to be going through Romans 6 over the next several weeks. Romans 6. Uh, Romans, the entire book of Romans, was written by the Apostle Paul. Um, some of you have heard me talk about this, but one of the things I love about the fact that we have so much of Paul's writings is that we can actually observe his spiritual growth. I think we forget sometimes that apostles, the apostles, although they knew Jesus in person, had a spiritual journey. They had growth that had to take place. And so uh, one of the things, uh, first of all, if you don't know who Paul was, Paul was a Pharisee, uh, read that as enemy of the church. And so uh, before his conversion, which happened in the 30s uh, AD, uh, not the 1930s, that would make it very uh, cultish um, if we were reading somebody from the 1930s, um, he persecuted the church in, in a famous situation that kind of represented how he treated and what he thought about the church is in Acts 7. One of the Christians are speaking, Stephen, and he supports, uh, if not participates in him being stoned to death, stoned to death. And so he is an enemy of Jesus Christ. He's an enemy of the church. And what happens on the road to Damascus, he meets the risen Lord and he's converted. He's converted. And from that point on, he serves the church. And so what we can see here is as he writes letters to the church, he's a missionary to the Gentiles, he describes his Christian walk. And at different times, he describes it in different ways. So let me just run through this rather quickly. First off, the early 50s, so almost 20 years, maybe 15 years after his conversion, he's writing the book of 1 Corinthians, and here's how he describes himself in that book. So 1 Corinthians 15, he says, for I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. So imagine if you will, you have this group, this very exclusive group who knew Jesus personally, as he sees himself in that group, he considers himself the least of that group. All right. Fast forward to the early 60s, so almost 10 years later, he's writing to the Ephesian church. He says this, 
of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power to me. Though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Do you see the progression here? He was the least of the apostles. Now, as he is writing about himself, he sees himself in a different category, the least of the saints. Almost a demotion in his mind. Then we get to the mid-60s. Now, Paul was executed by the late 60s, so this is one of his last letters that he writes. And so what, what does he say about himself? He's writing to Timothy, and here's his evaluation of himself. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. Least of the apostles, least of the saints, foremost of all sinners. What's happening? <laughs> What's happening with Paul? Is he sinning more? No. We know also through his letters that his holiness, his Christ-likeness was advancing. He tells the Thessalonians at one point, act like me because I act like Christ. So what's happening? While his holiness is increasing, while he is becoming more like Christ, also growing is his understanding of the seriousness of his own sin the seriousness of his sin. So while Paul might be sinning less, if we want to categorize it that way, the awfulness, the poison that is associated with his past, present, and future sins is becoming more and more evident to him. And all the while, as he understands the seriousness of his sin, his gra the grace of God never budged. <laughs> so he calls it here, the unsearchable riches of Christ. His understanding of his sin got more and more clear. Also, the understanding of God's everlasting, eternal gospel became more and more clear. And those two things, what is the trajectory of Paul's spiritual walk? More dependence upon Jesus more dependence upon Jesus. Church, our walk should not look different than the Apostle Paul's walk. <laughs> it shouldn't. It shouldn't. And so this series, what we're trying to do is to give a clear trajectory to our spiritual walk. That's what we're trying to do through this, this series on killing sin, walking through Romans 6. And so if we're gonna do that, I think it's helpful to know where we're starting from. Where we're starting from. By the way, this is a Christmas mug. I couldn't find my normal cup. If you see it around, I'd like it back. So I just went with a Christmas mug this morning. Um, where are we starting? I think some of us in this room are in a place when in regard to killing of sin, we're in a hopeless place. We have no hope. As we look at the sin that is recurring in our lives, many of us are throwing up our hands. Well, it is what it is. I don't see any forward motion. I don't see how I can even ever get over this thing that I'm dealing with. And so what have we resigned ourselves to? Living our lives in the world as best we can and just trying as much as we can to not look like the world. <laughs> That's a hopeless situation. Sin is powerful in that situation. So that's one area we might be starting from. Some of us in this room too, I think, are steeped in false hope. Steeped in false hope. As you look at your life, 
There are many of us in this room, sometimes some of us are both of these things. (laughs) There are many of us in this room who think, man, I just don't see too much bad stuff. (laughs) I don't see it. So in fact, when we come to the confession of sin, when when we have that in our order of worship, you're racking your brain. Well, maybe I could have done that better. Maybe I could have done this better. But otherwise, I think things are going pretty good. (laughs) That's also a situation of no hope because your hope is based in yourself. Both of these ideas that sin cannot be overpowered or that you have overpowered sin come from the idea that Christians should be getting better and better fast. That sin and our dealing with sin is a matter of success or failure. When we fail, we feel shame. When we succeed, we feel pride. That's not how it goes. And so this morning, the sermon's called Possibility. I'm gonna ask us, Paul's gonna ask us to consider some possibilities and these possibilities are gonna do one of two things. Either they're gonna reignite our hope about the sin in our lives, or it's gonna draw us back to true hope about the sin in our lives. And the only way to do that is to look at a scriptural understanding of sin and grace. We're gonna do that. Let me pray for us, and we'll jump into Romans 6. Father in heaven, on this very cold March day, I need you desperately I need you to keep my eyes open. We lost an hour of sleep. I need you to guide my words for clarity. I need you to check my heart as a sinner. And Father, we all need you to show us what you want us to hear, what you want us to see from these these words of scripture. And I pray that's the case this morning. Thank you for your Holy Spirit. It's work, it's presence here. We pray these things in the name of Jesus, amen. Now, we are jumping into the middle of a book of the Bible, and so there has to be some context here, and I'll do this very quickly. But in in Romans, what you have is Paul is writing to the church of Rome, and he's basically giving a systematic theology. And so in Romans, early Romans, he starts with the sin of man. He wants to convince the reader that there is actually a problem here. He moves on to the wrath of God. He wants the the reader to see, hey, there's actually a response to sin and and it's deserving and it's God's wrath. But then what we've been in up until this moment in, in, in Romans 6, he's been talking about God's grace, just how overwhelming it is. God's grace, how great it is. He finishes chapter five by saying this. Now the law came to increase the sin But where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So, he's making this point that God's grace is so great that no sin can overcome it. And he knows, what I love about Romans is he can can predict the next question. And the next question is this, from Romans 6, 1. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? Meaning, if truly God's grace grows and grows with our sin, well, why don't we just sin all the time? And so he's drawing us back to this idea at the beginning of Romans 6 before resuming talking about God's grace that sin is serious. That's where he's starting in Romans 6. And how do we know that sin is serious? Because the answer to that question is by no means. In other words, God forbid that. 
That's not how it should work. We should not sin and sin and sin, hoping for grace and grace and grace. Sin should be taken seriously. Paul's rejecting the idea, and the fancy word is antinomianism. I'm not going to spell that for you. That means lawlessness. The idea of antinomian thinking is, well, I can do what I want because God forgives me anyway. He's saying, no, that's not how it works. Sin is not to be left unabated, unopposed in our lives. Sin is a destructive force and it should be resisted. So hear this this morning, hear from the Apostle Paul. There is no version of Christianity that promotes the indulgence of sin. There's no version of it. There's no version of Christianity that promotes apathy towards sin. It doesn't exist. Sin is serious. Why? Because church, the cross of Jesus Christ means something. It means something. It wasn't a cosmic, don't worry about it. We're good. I got this. No. The cross of Jesus Christ has value. I love how Dietrich Bonhoeffer puts it in in his book, Cost Discipleship. He says all, grace is costly because it was costly to God. Because it cost God the life of God's son and because nothing can be cheap to us, which is costly to God. Jesus didn't die to give us a free pass. Why did he die? He died to conquer our true enemy, sin, death, and the devil. They're real enemies. And his cross is our ransom payment. It's our forgiveness. It's a beacon to call us away from our sin and towards grace. So he continues with his discussion on grace and how great it is in the end of verse two, and he does it in the next two phrases with questions, but these questions are rhetorical. They have information in them. So he says, what shall we say then? Should we continue in sin? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? What he's doing here, he's going to point directly to a doctrine called union, union with Christ. Now, we're going to get in the nuts and bolts of union next week. What I want you to understand this week is that it's this incredible truth that means that when Jesus Christ died on that cross, that meaningful thing, there was some way by grace through faith that we were there with him. Listen to Galatians 2.20. It's a great summary. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives within me. So union with Christ, what does it mean? Here in this verse, it is saying that when Jesus Christ died, those of us who are with him, or those of us who have faith in him, were with him. And so in a sense, as he died by our sin or to our sin, we died to our sin. It actually happened to us. The penalty he paid was a penalty that we paid. What happened to him happened to us. He asks another question, do you not know? Verse three, that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. And so we have this symbol of our union, baptism. Think about what we know about baptism. We know that it's a promise made by God. And now we can see that it's also an invitation, an invitation to be unified with the Trinity itself. It's an invitation to say, make that profession of faith. And at that profession of faith, you're not just claiming your membership of a church. You're actually claiming all the benefits that come with the resurrection, the the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. 
he summarizes in verse four, and he's getting to a point, and that's why I'm skimming over union, because I want us to get to the, the end of verse four for today. We'll come back to union next week, but I don't want you to miss the forest for the trees. This doctrine of union, it's miraculous. It's hard to understand. It's hard to understand. So, so don't get lost in that today, but understand this, that by your faith in Jesus Christ, by grace, through faith, you are one with Jesus and he is one with you. He talks about this in John, I am the vine, you are the branches. There's a connection, a real connection, and it means something real. So let's take a look at this. We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, here's, here it is, we too might walk in the newness of life. We too might walk in the newness of life. If you're unfamiliar with the story, Jesus is crucified, he is killed, he's dead for three days, and then he comes back to life. God raises him from the dead and he walks amongst the disciples. The Bible says he met 500 people during that time. That was the outcome of his crucifixion, was his resurrection. That's also the outcome of his crucifixion for us. Resurrection, remember we are unified with Christ. So his outcome is our outcome. His work now in some miraculous and gracious way is our work. His righteousness is our righteousness. His death, our death, his resurrection, our resurrection. Church, hear this, every person, who is saved by grace through faith, has it been empowered to walk by being unified with Christ? Every single one. Christ, Jesus himself, is with every Christian all the way. There is no degree of differentiation. Jared Wilson wrote a book. It's got a shocking title, The Gospel of Satan. What he's doing in that book is he's... Um, rebutting several ideas that we hold in modern Christianity and rebutting them with scripture. And he says this in one of his chapters, there is no Christianity 2.0. Every believer in Jesus, whether new or old, immature or experienced, weak or strong, has received every spiritual blessing in Jesus Christ. Every believer is totally and inextricably united to Christ for all eternity. There is no part way in. Every Christian is justified totally, freely, forever. In this regard, no one is higher or more advanced than any other. Do you hear that truth this morning, church? Do you hear how that, this helps us understand? We're not waiting for something to begin. We're in it because we're in Christ. To have faith in the work of Christ is to walk in the newness of life. And this is an important truth. Why? Because we, we need this hope. Why? We need this hope that the possibility of the life we're living right now, if we have faith in Jesus, is a new life. We need it because I think, I know I do sometimes, we expect our Christian walk to look a lot different than this. Very often we do. And so this morning, Paul is asking us to consider three possibilities. Three possibilities, and here they are. Some of these things, some of you have heard your whole lives. 
Some of you have heard these truths forever. My prayer this week and this morning is that they will fall on our hearts in a way that seems like we've never heard them before. They could be fresh. First possibility. The first possibility I want us to consider this morning is that you and I, as we sit and as we stand where we are, that you and I have the ability to destroy our lives with sin. Now, I'm not saying that you will, you have the ability to commit any sin that you've ever seen that you think is awful. What I'm saying is in our hearts, because they're sinful, we could choose the series of sins that would be necessary to destroy everything we love. As we sit where we sit or we stand where we stand, we have the ability to destroy our lives with sin. It's serious. Our hearts are poisonous. They're dangerous and they're active. I know that's hard, but it's true. We all know someone who has gotten to a place and they just say, I don't know how I got there. I don't know how this happened. That can happen to us. Second possibility, before anyone else leaves, just kidding. Um, even though that is true, even though that first possibility is true, God's love and his grace surrounds us on all sides forever, forever. How do we know? How do we know he loves us, Ransom? He, he allowed his son to be nailed to a cross. That's how I know. What he's already done proves it, shows us. And what's even further than that, there is a sense in which I think we think God treats us like a dirty diaper. Got Ransom here. No. We're unified with his son, even though the first possibility is true. I love the image from Ephesians 3 that we are rooted and grounded in love. Think about this. That seed, that dead seed of our awful heart is planted deep in the earth of God's love to grow into something else. Third possibility that we must consider, and I've, I've been pray, I pray for clarity on this. That first possibility, I hope, helps those of us who are in a false hope that we've gotten over our sin, kind of jostle us out of our slumber. The second hope, I hope, encourages those who feel like sin has power over them in their lives. This third one is for all of us. This third one's for all of us. The third possibility I'd like us to consider this morning that Paul would like us to consider is that our participation in these two truths, our participation in the truth, the reality of our sin and how awful it is, and the truth in the reality of God's grace and how great it is, that our participation in these two truths with an increasing understanding is actually the Christian walk. That's what it is. 
Do you see how that's the Christian walk of Paul the apostle? He starts off with least of the apostles. He ends with foremost of sinners. And the, the result of that through his life is the meaning and the value of the gospel was increasing more and more and more. Not just because he was learning about the gospel, because he saw his sin and how dark and deep it went. He needed Jesus more and more and more. And guess what? Jesus kept coming. Our experience will not be different. It won't be different. And so what should we expect and what should we not expect? We should not expect the Christian life to get easier. I'm sorry. We shouldn't. We shouldn't expect, we shouldn't be waiting for our sin to suddenly go away so we can resume our Christian life. We should actually expect to struggle against and hate our sin as long as we live. That's a good thing to struggle against it and hate it. We should not expect to not need Jesus anymore. Do you see how if our sin is solved, we just, we're good. We need Jesus. Will we sin less? Maybe. Will we feel heavier about our sin? I hope so. I hope I do. Should we expect God's love to never ever falter? Yes, praise the Lord. Should we expect to know our need of him more and more and more? I pray that is the truth. I'm gonna pause my deal with my wife that every time I mention her name, she gets ice cream because this one's really not against. She was reading last night to the boys, the Don Treader, uh, C.S. Lewis, and they're talking about Spoiler alert, it's been around since, what, the 1950s? I don't know. But Eustace is this nasty character in the book, and he becomes a dragon. And he meets Aslan, and Aslan scrapes the dragon off of him. And, and the author, the narrator, says at this point in his life, Eustace became more pleasant, although he had some relapses. And then it says this phrase, the cure had begun. The cure had begun. I think, church, there are times in my life, I know, church, there are times in my life, I think in your life, too, that we expect the cure to be immediate and full tomorrow. We need Jesus. All of our lives, we need Jesus. And that's a hope of possibility, the, the hope that God has already done what is necessary to fight our sin. He's done it. The hope that we actually really right now walk in the newness of life. That there's not like this secret formula we're looking for to activate that. We're in it. The hope of possibility that we are not second-class Christians because we struggle with sin. In fact, you're just a Christian and Christians should struggle against their sin. It should feel like a struggle. In that struggle, God knows about it. He's prepared for it. He's with you in it because by, by grace through faith, we are united with Christ. We have every spiritual blessing possible given to us through Jesus. 
I love that we do the Lord's Supper every week. One of the reasons is that we will never not need the Lord's Supper. (laughs) We'll never not need it. We go on sinning, we go on sinning, we go on sinning, and we always will need Jesus. And here's the thing, a reminder that he is available that he's already done the thing necessary to meet us where we're at. And so as we come this morning, as we eat and we drink, we can be reminded that we are never without nourishment. God is not waiting for us to crawl to him malnourished. He comes to us to give us what we need. We've yet to do a a time of confession, so I'm gonna ask us to do this morning, we're gonna take a time of silent confession. And here's what I want Here's what Paul wants. Here's what God wants. Let's just be out with it. Let's be out with it. Let's let the sins flow. Think about, think about your marriage. Think about your friendships. Think about at work. Are there things there where you are sinning? It's, it's going to creep in. Well, they did. Well, listen, just allow sin to be sin. Allow it to be destructive. Allow your heart to be poisonous. Think about your relationship with your children or your parents. Think about your habits. Think about your anger. Be real. Stop. I'm saying this to myself. Stop protecting my reputation in front of God. Trying to say things aren't as bad as I think they are. They are. It's important. Now we don't come to the table in despair, we come in hope. How can we rejoice after something like that, confessing our sins? No matter what you confess, because of Jesus Christ, it is forgiven. There's assurance in that. So that's the journey I pray we're on this morning. So we're gonna give ourselves some time. Once we're done, And we've reminded ourselves that Jesus loves us. He willingly paid for the thing we confessed. We can sorrow in our sin, but simultaneously we can rejoice in the work of Christ. We can rejoice in his grace. We can rejoice in his love and we'll have the Lord's Supper together. So if you believe that you are that kind of sinner, you believe that Jesus Christ is the only hope and that kind of sin, you've made that profession, you've been baptized, you're invited this morning without money to pay to come and eat of his grace. If either you do not believe those things, Jesus can't cover, I don't need Jesus cover, or you have a sin in your life but you just refuse to confess, the Bible makes it clear this is not the time or the place to come and receive the Lord's Supper. It just doesn't make sense. In fact, it's a wrong thing to do. And so, Let's take some time here. Let's pray silently. I'll gather us back together with a prayer of blessing when it's time.
all-knowing Father, if we were to take the sins confessed and unconfessed that exist in this room, in our hearts, and we pile them up in the front, we all would be shocked and chagrined. You would not be, you know them. And I'm thankful, Lord, that that's not possible. Not possible because sins at times are invisible, but also not possible because for those who are in Jesus Christ, those sins have already been piled someplace else on Jesus Christ on the cross, and they've been paid for. It may seem impossible to us, but it's the truth you tell us. So we have a choice to believe or not to believe. And Father, I pray that we believe and that we are assured that as bad as our earthly reputation might be, our reputation with our Father through Jesus Christ is pure. Not because we are pure, but because of union with Jesus. It's everything. Father, I pray that as we go through this series, you would help us not to despair. I pray that you would keep the devil at bay. I pray that we would not look for success in the Christian life. We would look for dependence on Jesus. That we would be satisfied in the fact that he is always there with us and that Jesus is enough. This morning, coming forward to this supper, eating bread and drinking juice or wine, whatever it is, it's a declaration that you are enough. It's, you're what we need. You're the food for our soul. You're the food for our life. You're the nourishment that our souls need. And so I pray in, in that way that this time would be blessed that by the power of your spirit, you would be spiritually present here with us and we would feel, know, believe in that nourishment of grace. I am a sinner and I believe in Jesus Christ and I'm thankful that I get to eat with my brothers and my sisters who are the same today. I pray in the name of Jesus, amen.